Welcome to the Grace Podcast. We are Southern Baptist Church, where everybody is somebody, and Jesus Christ is Lord. Today's message has been pre-recorded, so let's begin listening in to our pastor. But I like to read out of the book of Corinthians today, and if you even notice on your uh, bulletin by chance that... uh, That's where it shows, 1 Corinthians 13. So often you hear this passage of Scripture, maybe read at a wedding, maybe you hear it talked about so often, but uh, before we get to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want to share. So before I read, I want to share what maybe the first 12 chapters are about. (laughs) Oh, Lord. I promise I won't be very long. I'm not going to go detail after detail in each chapter. But Paul was writing this letter to the church of Corinth in the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth was a a great multicultural city. The city of Corinth was one of those booming cities uh, where you could just about find anything and everything in that large city. It was a melting pot of great diversity of wealth, a great diversity of trades, different uh, uh, craftsmen and things, a great diversity of intellect. And I bring that up because in this era of time, uh, people like so much so to be great orators, okay? Speak well. You're not getting that here from me, by the way. I, 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 God called me to preach. He didn't call me uh, uh, to be a great orator. And I had to learn to accept that. I don't have the enticing words. I just want to obey God. But in that day and time, a great orator, people would gather. They would fill coliseums to listen to someone speak. Almost like you see people going to hear uh, Dr. Billy Graham. Uh, today and as they have in the past. But anyway, uh, there were many, many different standards, if you will, uh, uh, moral standards in the city as well. And, and so uh, that because of all of these things that were happening, there were several uh, uh, pagan uh, worship uh, centers, if you will, going on. There, there were several believers in, in things other than God. Right in the middle of all of this sat the church of Corinth. Right in the middle of all the things that should not be happening was a church. May I tell you today, I believe that God puts his church where it needs to be. And God put this church at Corinth right there where it needed to be because, my friend, what better place to be a light for God then in a place where there was so much promiscuity going on, there was so much pagan worship going on, there were so many things happening that they didn't even think about God. Or if so, they thought, that's just your weakness. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that people say, well, you use God, you, you worship God because you need a crutch. Yeah. You need a crutch, right? I'm going to tell you what, I need more than a crutch, huh? Yeah, God's more than a crutch for me. Uh, He is my all in all. And without Him, I can do nothing. But with Him, I can do all things. And so can you. But that's the type of city that the church of Corinth 
was in the midst of. And unfortunately, as things happened, instead of the church reaching out and being the church and the light and the door of hope, the church began to bring in the things in its outside surroundings that they saw. The things that were around them, they began to bring in. Just as an example, I talked about being a great orchard. And the church at Corinth, they began to think, well, I can be a, I'm a better orator. I'm a better speaker than you are. I'm a better this than you are. And they began to think of all of these things. In the middle of all of this, Paul reminds them, in the very first part of this book, that they were called to be saints. They were called to be saints. And may I tell you today, when you're a child of God, when you receive Jesus Christ in your Savior, you become a saint. Some people might say, I'm no saint. Well, you might not be living saintly, but if you receive Jesus Christ, he called you to be a saint. And Paul went on to say in the beginning of this book, he went on to tell them, he reminded them that they were sanctified, set apart for the master's use. He reminded them, so listen, you're called to be saint. Live like a saint. Don't live like the world. That message rings out today as clear as it did that day. We are called to be saints. Live like a saint, if you will. I'm not saying I'm higher and holier than thou. I'm talking about the saint that we created to be, that Jesus indwells me, that Holy Spirit, and that I am the tabernacle in which he dwells. I am called to reflect who lives in me. Don't live like the world. Remember we're set apart. Well, it's okay. I'm not bothering anybody how I live or what I do. And you know what? You're bothering yourself more than anybody else. You are hurting yourself more than anybody else. Why? How can I be hurting myself? Because your influence is so slowly going down the drain, if you will. Your children are watching you. Your family your co-workers, wherever it might be. Oh, what a miserable place. You know why? I believe we were put on this earth as Christians when we become a child of God. We were put on this earth to make an impact. Do you not believe that? That church was put in the midst of all that corruption to make an impact. You can't make an impact without having contact. Okay, they were told to go out into the city as we are told to go out into the city and the highways and the byways to compel all to come. But you don't bring that in and let that become part of you. So in realizing and saying this, unfortunately these people have allowed a lot of that culture of the city of that time become their own part of their lifestyle. And this created divisions in the church at Corinth. It was little things, if you will. It was little things. May I tell you, Satan doesn't have to use great things to create division. 
It was little things. And these little things created division or a word I would rather use this year because our theme for the year, okay, to be one body unified as one, they were creating disunity. The opposite of unity, disunity. They were creating a disunity where we need to be that fitly framed together church where they needed to be that church. Uh, They were creating fractions. And because of that creation, a word got across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus where Paul was. And Paul says, I need to write him a letter. He's in the midst of his third journey. But yet he says, I need to write them a letter. And I need to... You know what? (laughs) He did it out of love, and you're going to see this. I remember, oh, Lord, I remember when I was a teenager, maybe even a little bit of a teenager. My dad, he kind of talked to me in a way. (laughs) Whenever my dad wanted to get my attention, he'd always say, son. It always started with, son. I knew right away, because dad didn't do that too often, quite honestly. But when he did, you better listen, because there was something he needed to tell you. And that's exactly what Paul's doing. Paul was saying, son, church, I need to tell you something. And he began in love, and he began to tell them how remind them of who they were, you know, that that Christian that they were supposed to be. He began to tell them how they were supposed to live, and he began to tell them, and he used the illustration of the human body. You know, that the eye also is important, the hand is important, the feet is important, everybody's important, so there's no big eyes, if you will, and little use that we are all important. Everybody is somebody here at Grace. Everybody is somebody. You know what? It thrills my heart to see those little children raise their hand. You know why? You know why? Because it's planting a seed in them, isn't it? It's putting something in them that they, number one, we got adults that won't do that today. But number one, they raise their hand. I don't care if it's pray for my puppy, you know. I want to pray for their puppy. Yeah. And it does my heart good to see that. It's letting them know there's somebody. And that's what Paul was saying. Everybody needs to be somebody. Whether you're a great speaker or not. Whether you serve a trade or not. Whether you serve on a committee, if you will, in the church or not. Whether you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or not. Whether you're a preacher. Everybody's somebody. And we need to realize that. So he says all of these things. And he lets them know that to be an effective unit, you need to love one another. Yeah. Because they were anything but, if you will, an effective unit. They were ineffective just as a team. May go out and start to say what I'm fixing to say and I caught myself. You'll see in a minute. 
I enjoy, I enjoy sports. And every so often you'll see maybe the football team out on a, a field or the basketball team on the court. And you wonder, who in the world is this playing tonight? So the coach calls the timeout and he brings them together. And he simply says, you're on the field, but your heart isn't in the game. Your mind isn't in the game. Church, we can come into this house, but if our heart and our mind isn't in the purpose of why we're here, we won't go out the same way we come in and we won't be of any use for anybody. We need to be overwhelmed. (laughs) We need to be overwhelmed. You see, they come into the church and they brought all the issues in their own lives with them. They had brought the things that they may have said, oh, there ain't nothing wrong with that, but it kept them from being overwhelmed. I wonder today, did anybody come here? Ask your heart. Did anybody come here this morning and you brought your issues right in here with you? You brought your little idiosyncrasies of whatever they might be, this little thing that kind of gets you or that little... Well, you brought all of those things. Or maybe you brought the fact that, man, I don't know how I'm going to get a job. I need a job so bad, and that's all you're thinking about. Huh? You bring it right here. You bring it right here. I'm going to tell you why. You can't go any higher. You cannot go any higher. All things are possible to him that believes. Well, so Paul goes on and he tells them to love one another and every member of the church is important. I'm going to read now. Kind of in a gist, the first 12 chapters, 1 Corinthians. So notice he's admonishing them. He's trying to awaken them to just where they are. If you just read chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, you might say, man, I, I, that's a church I'd like for us to be. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. But wait a minute. Are we not that church in many ways? We've got to be very careful. So Paul was telling them how important everybody was. So Paul begins to say these words in his final part of his letter, chapter 13. Notice now what he's saying. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels. In other words, you know that person that just captivates you to hear them speak. I don't care how good you can speak. Paul said, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, and I'm going to use the word love today in your version or your Bible, it may probably say charity, but you look that and it is love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, 
I am become as what? A sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I seriously thought that I would bring out one of them old uh, heavy-duty frying pans that are in my closet that I have no use for, but one of them cast-iron jobs and, and, and a big uh, spoon. And I literally thought I'd bring that out and I'd start clanging on that. <laughs> we'd all do this or we'd all leave, right? Because we don't want to hear it, but Paul's saying, I don't care. You might think you're sounding good. You might think you're doing good. But in God's ears, it's just like a spoon on a cast iron skillet. My words. Right? You're not going to listen to that. The Lord isn't going to listen to it either. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am nothing. As a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, listen, and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith because there were great learned people, the city of Corinth, it drew, it drew philosophers, it drew great uh, minds. And they would sit and they would kind of puff their chest and they would begin to speak and Paul said, I don't care. I don't care. Though I speak that I can understand everything. And you know, I have one of those men, that person is so intelligent, they're so smart. And, and Paul goes on to say, so that I can move mountains and have not love. What? I am nothing. I am nothing. I am nothing. Though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor. See, there were wealthy people in Corinth as well. And the wealthy people thought, well, as long as I put it in and distribute my wealth. And as long as I do this, God sees and I'm good. The Bible talks about tithing. We're preaching on that soon. I'm not going to tell you when. I want you showing up. But the Bible talks about how important it is. All right? He talks about how important it is, but he tells you, if you think that you can do like the Pharisee, God, I give all this, and I do this, and I'm not like these other people. My friend, that's no good. You're doing it without love. Though I give my body to be burned and have not love, you know, though I say I'll lay down my life, my friend, you can say you die for Jesus, but would you die for Jesus? You can say you'll live for Jesus, but are you living for Jesus? Then he goes on to speak about love. He said, love suffereth long. Talking about patience. Love will cause you to have a great deal of patience. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if Paul wasn't getting right to the heart of the matter. Because we can get so impatient, right? Paul said, love has great patience and is kind. Love envieth not. We know what that is, right? Huh? Uh-huh. Oh, I can say, oh, I'd like to have that truck you got, you know. Yeah. I was looking at the truck last night when I pulled in here. Man, I... 
We don't do that. Envy, you know, we don't covet. We don't, we're not envious either. And he says, let me say this. Charity boasteth not itself, or varneth not itself. Okay, what you do, you don't boast about it. It's not puffed up. Love is not proud. Love's not proud. I'm going to stop right here. So, so, so often we, we think of love and how, well, let me just finish. Uh, doth not behave itself unseemingly. Love isn't going to be rude. Don't be rude. Speak in love. These people have begotten, have become rude in several things that did, even so far as the Lord's Supper. They had become rude in that. They had brought their feast or their meals. No, you don't eat this, you eat that. It is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices. Not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Somebody falls in sin. You don't say, I knew it. I knew it. I knew they wouldn't hang in there. No. Uh -uh. That's when they need a brother. That's when they need a sister in Christ. That's when they need somebody to say, here you go. I know what it's like. I've been there. Let me lift you up. Let me give you a helping hand. That's what love does. He said, love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. He said, now abideth, in verse 13. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Abideth remains, now that there is within you. You know, we sing the song, he abides. (laughs) That means he lives within me. Okay? Faith needs to be in you. Okay? Faith is the foundation of God's message. Do you know that? People need to see your faith. Hope is the attitude of focus. Paul said if in this life we were without God, we'd be of all men most miserable. But without hope in God, we'd be of all men. We, we got to show them. Listen, I may be going through a valley, but my hope is anchored in God. They need to see that even though the trials come in our lives, that I have a hope both sure and steadfast. Faith, hope, and love. Love is the action produced by your faith and your hope. Love is that action word. huh? But let me say something just about love before we come to a close. 
The word love has been so overused. I believe it's lost its significance. I really do. Love should be used like it's your greatest treasure you have. What am I saying? We've all done it. A little bit ago, I started to. I can tell you, (laughs) I probably have, that I love Godfathers. That's my favorite pizza. Anytime you want to take me, I'm good with that. Godfather, I can tell you I love Godfather's Pizza. I can tell you that cheesecake is my favorite restaurant. I love cheesecake. You know, I can tell you all the, I can tell you I love watching the Ohio State Buckeyes. But that's not what I should be saying. And I don't mean because maybe it's not your team. What I'm saying to you is we have unknowingly maybe changed the word and made it a feeling. I really enjoy. (laughs) I really enjoy Godfathers. I really enjoy those others. I enjoy. It makes me feel good to be able to sit and watch a good football or basketball, whatever kind of sport. Not too good with hockey. But anyway, it makes me feel good. Feel good about it. And that's what we've done. We've turned love into a feeling. And love is not a feeling. A feeling is a byproduct of love, is it not? We turn love into a feeling and therefore when people don't feel like they used to feel, guess what happens? They separate. They don't work on it. Oh, listen, it's been going on a long time. Brother Ron back here probably could sing every word of the Righteous Brother song. You've lost that love and feeling. And a lot of people today, when because of that, they think that that's what it is. Love is a feeling. And no, it's a choice. Love is a choice that we give our treasure to. Or that treasure is given to us. And you need to guard your treasure. And that's what Paul was telling the Corinthian church here. Love is a choice. And we need to make sure we choose love. We need to make sure we choose love because it's a choice. He told the Colossians in 3.14, and above all of these things, put on love. What was he saying by putting on love? He put it on just like you wear it. Just like it's there. You can see it. Does the people see love of God in your life? Are you putting on love for God? My friend, if you put it on, you better leave it on because otherwise it's a feeling. It will come and go. Huh? You don't feel good, there goes your love, right? You, you got this problem, there goes your love. Love is a choice that you make. Husbands, when you saw your now wife and you looked at her, you made a choice to ask her hand in marriage. Or wives, if you did that. 
You made a choice. And if anybody here today has been married over five years, you will also say it's not always been easy. But you had to choose. You had to choose to work through it. Because if you let your feelings direct you, you would have said, I'm out of here. Amen? Let's be real. Love is a choice. Let me tell you the greatest example of that. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, that's what he's telling us. He told the same thing to the Romans and to the, to the Galatians to put on Christ. My friend, we as a church family, we need to, number one, and I come to a close. Get ready back here. We need to be careful because we are not a city as large as Corinth was. But everything that Corinth was dealing with, we're dealing with. And you know what? You can say, well, this is okay. That's okay. And My friend, you don't get to set the standard. You are not the one who says, I can set the standard. If you want God to be a part of your life, if you want God to bless you beyond measure, and yes, he will, that abundant life that doesn't describe when we get to heaven, you need to realize you don't set the standard of what you do and not do. God's word is the standard. And by the way, he's the same as he was at Corinth. He is today. John, 1 John 3.18, he said, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I can say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. We can say, I love you. I love you. I love you. We can say that so much. So? So he loves me. Right? But when you say, I love you, man, it needs to do something to that other person. You know that. It needs to do something. God said, I loved you with an everlasting love. He did something. It means something when I hear Jesus loves me. This I know. (laughs) It means something. So you see this church at Corinth had everything that they needed to have to be prosperous. They had everything that they needed to have to be a great church. But Paul was saying, now, before I get here, let me tell you some things. My friend, we've got everything we need to be a great church. And you'll see all around here, the meaning of a great church is not how many people come, but how many lives are changed as a result of having been there. That's what makes a great church. 
We've got everything we need to make a great church, but it's up to me to keep myself unspotted from the world. It's up to me to forbear my brother and my sister. It's up to me to be careful how I use my mouth. It's up to me. You get it? It's up to you too. Let's stand. You're here today and you need to know the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. You need, to need, you need to know him as the Lord and Savior. And I'm simply asking you this. If you were to know that today, if you were to know that today would be your last day on earth, what would you do with Jesus? That whole book of 1 Corinthians, that whole letter, if you'd read just the 13th chapter, you'd think, wow, what a church this must be. No. <laughs> it was a church in dire need. for listening to our podcast at Grace and to hear more please join us on our website at gracemissionarybaptist.org and also available on Google Play and iTunes.